Thank you for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Sandra DeMeo. After recently leaving his role as the WHO's Medical Officer for NCDs and Nutrition, Sandra was appointed the CEO of EAT, a non-profit startup focused on food and sustainability. Sandra is one of the world's leading experts on all things NCDs, public health and nutrition, and we are extremely fortunate to have him on the podcast today. Sandro, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Recently, the BBC reported a tenfold rise in extreme obesity among school children in England over the last 30 years. And after hearing that, I couldn't help but be reminded of your classroom analogy and was hoping you could start by sharing it with our listeners today. Sure. When it comes to obesity, we often overlook what is actually the true driver. And I think the easiest way to remember this is to think about a classroom of children. If you had 30 children and one of them in the class was getting bad grades, you could easily assume that it was because the student wasn't listening. Maybe there's a distraction at home. Maybe they haven't been performing well or they have uh, a learning difficulty. But if two thirds of the class were getting bad grades, it would surely be quite different. You would start thinking about environmental causes. You'd start thinking, is there enough light in the room? Is the teacher the right teacher? Is the syllabus uh, you know, correct for this age group? And yet we live in many societies where two thirds of us are overweight or obese, or maybe a third to a quarter of our children. And we continue to blame the individual for their increasing weight. And this just strikes me as a, as a sad reflection of our inability to see the true drivers of population level obesity. We all know that the rates of obesity and particularly childhood obesity are very bad, but could you paint a picture of the current situation? Sure, so we know that over the last 30 years, uh, obesity has skyrocketed uh, across the entire world. In fact, there's not a single country that is not facing a, a dramatically increasing rate, particularly of child obesity over the past three to four decades. It's gone from just a few percent of adult obesity, maybe high single digits, through to 30 to 40 percent of many high-income countries, but also alarmingly many low and middle-income countries. And this is across the, the full age spectrum. So we see, for example, in countries like Australia, uh, the UK, most of Europe, including now increasingly Southern Europe, which, we, which were previously protected uh, from these same levels of child and adult obesity, Canada, the US, and as I said, increasingly poorer, low and middle income countries, obesity rates of between 30, 35, even counting up into the high 30s in adults, and very often around one quarter to one third of children are now overweight or obese. And so why is it such a problem in children? Well, because first of all, we know that the life course effects of putting on weight at that early age, we see rising rates of metabolic disease in the second and third decades of life. In fact, many of the diseases we used to call adult onset X or Y, we now no longer use those labels because we see diabetes type 2 in adolescence or in a very early adulthood. We see early signs of cardiovascular disease, that of other forms of metabolic disease in the second and third decades of life. We also know that people don't generally lose weight. In fact, in most countries around the world, in most societies, the path of least resistance has well and truly become 
one of weight gain. And, and we see this across the entire life course. And we, in general, maybe put on one to two kilograms at least per, per decade, often much more. It could even be five or more kilograms per decade. And so if you start as a child that is already overweight or obese, you have almost no chance of achieving a healthy, a healthy weight across the life course. And the evidence supports this, that you know, more than eight in 10 children who are overweight or obese will, never, will actually never obtain a healthy weight across their life course. And so what we're doing is really when, when we allow child obesity to continue to rise and we don't take action by governments, by the health sector uh, and by society more generally, we not only fail our kids, but we also set them up for a life of morbidity and probably early mortality. Sadly, we also know that, you know, it's largely preventable. So these metabolic diseases, 80% of diabetes and heart disease, a third of cancers are preventable currently with the technologies that we have. Poor diet, including uh, resulting obesity, hypertension and other metabolic effects are the leading risk for disease worldwide. These are all reversible. In fact, these are all preventable. And so, again, it's a sad indictment on the inaction taken by governments, by society, and the actions taken by many parts of the private sector that have seen this global pandemic now of rising child adolescent obesity. And of course, the last few decades, a very astounding and concerning rise of, of also adult obesity in almost every country across the world. You mentioned that obesity has become the path of least resistance, and this was the subject of one of your BJSM editorials that was published earlier this year. Why is it the case that obesity has become the path of least resistance? The obesogenic environment is obviously very complex. What are some of the things we need to start doing to help design a healthier path of least resistance and nudge people in the right direction? I mean, look, obesity is complex, and solving obesity is going to take multiple efforts by multiple sectors. Um, complexity shouldn't be a reason for inaction, and that's really the fundamental message. There is lots that we can be doing to reduce obesity in, in our modern societies. This could be from ensuring that schools, for example, if we look at child obesity, there are five, five areas that could be a great way to start acting on child obesity. First, schools. Let's make sure that kids are that we're using the fact that that kids are spending you know the majority of their time and consuming twenty to fifty percent of their daily calories in one place that that is often actually uh, part part curated by uh, government that has a a deep interest in keeping the population healthy both for health returns but also economic and social development returns. Let's use those platforms to actually drive an improvement in health outcomes. And what could that look like? It could look like you know, breakfast and lunch programs that are based on dietary and nutrition guidelines that improve the situation for countries like Australia where 95% of children actually don't consume enough vegetables. Shocking situation and so easily solved. It could be delivering food education and literacy programs so that kids actually develop cooking skills as part of their core curricula uh, along with maths, science, English or other languages. It's about making sure that our schools are not places where junk food is sold and where foods that we know are associated with weight gain and even metabolic disease like sugary drinks have no place. Implementing mandatory guidelines on 
canteens, on getting sugary drinks out of schools, but also making sure the infrastructure is there for sport to occur, for safe drinking, you know, water, water fountains, safe drinking access, etc., and making sure that our teachers are skilled and remunerated to be able to provide all of this. That's just one point of action. Another is around pricing. A big reason that we've been able to make such progress on tobacco consumption in many parts of society is due to what I would call true pricing. So actually making sure that the product at point of consumption has some sort of a resemblance of the true cost of the product to society, not just that individual. So as you go to purchase a can of sugary drink that we know is associated with weight gain, metabolic disease, including diabetes, etc., that you don't just pay for the sugar, the water, and the aluminium, which costs nothing, and maybe a little bit of marketing, which keeps demands artificially high. But you actually also pay for some of the health consequences that we know will likely result from that on that individual. But also you pay for some of the health budget for everyone else, or possibly, for example, the rising burden of dental caries, particularly among children, for which actually it's the number one cause of missing school in countries like Australia. So it's about not about taxing. We call it a sugar tax, but actually what it's really about is giving people a truer reflection of the cost of that product and then allowing the market to actually play out in a way that is fair and transparent and giving parents and children an opportunity to purchase something that is truly priced. So pricing is a very important tool as well, not just for deterring unhealthy behaviours, but also through then subsidising healthier products or by using it to subsidise, for example, dental or prevention programs. Another one is around advertising. Obviously, we know that advertising to children for unhealthy products starts to build connections between products and recognition for products as early as six months of age before kids can even talk. Frightening, frightening science. And it just reminds us of the importance of not manipulating young kids and indoctrinating them by basically uh, advertising. You know, advertising really is a form of, you know, manipulation of when, when, when it's someone under the age of 18 who we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't expect to vote, we wouldn't expect them to go to war, we protect kids from a number of different things. And I think to a large degree, we also have to take collective responsibility for protecting children from advertising techniques that we know work for products that cause disease. And there are big parts of the world, most of the Nordic region have a complete ban on advertising to children, not just junk food, but any products, because they know that it's a form of manipulation of children. And I, I think that's true. And I think advertising to children shouldn't be a part of a modern responsible society. Obviously, another one is around then nutrition labeling and ensuring that people have the right information as they go to buy their products. We're all very busy. So if parents are at the checkout and they're trying to work out if this product is healthy or not, not only should there be a very easy to interpret front of pack label that tells them very quickly whether this is something that they should or shouldn't be eating and feeding to their kids, but also we obviously shouldn't have a cartoon character on the front and it shouldn't be placed at child height in the supermarket, all things that are done very often for the least healthy products and make the lives of parents harder. So nutrition labeling and, and responsible product placement and food environment placement is very important. And the last is then how we utilize supply chains. And this is a really important one that's emerging as a focus for many of us in public health, realizing that through the collective power of cities, governments, purchasing, even things like schools and hospitals, 
because they purchase such a large amount of food, by purchasing healthier food, not only is there a return on investment more widely through societal benefits, not only are you feeding, for example, kids or hospital patients better food, which have dividends also for the hospital bottom line, but also you actually start to create a new market for those healthier foods. It contributes to economies of scale and allows then new markets to produce more at less cost and hopefully therefore provide it cheaper to other parts of the community. And so these are just five examples of policy areas that are easy, that are evidence-based, that the public generally supports. And I, you know, I would urge governments around the world to begin to implement these to protect children from weight gain and to start to address the, the very concerning global rise that we already see in child and adolescent overweight and obesity. Sandro, it would seem that many of the drivers of obesity today are beyond the control of clinicians. Consultations only last a few minutes, and then patients are endlessly exposed to the unhealthy, obesogenic environment that you've been speaking about. What can clinicians and the sportsmen community in particular do to help tackle the problem? Yeah, look, it, it is easy to feel disempowered, but I think there's actually a lot that we can do as doctors, both in our clinical practice and also in our, with our standing in society more generally. And I would frame these around six areas. Get healthy, get real, get connected, get informed, get political, and get systems. And let me, let me tell you what each of those quickly means. So first of all, it's very hard actually to lead a healthy, life and to remain a healthy weight in uh, modern society in most parts of the world, even for uh, doctors who are usually, you know, at the better educated, better remunerated end of the spectrum. So by actually getting healthy, realizing how hard it is to remain healthy and by leading by example and learning by doing, that's a huge step forward and gives you a huge amount of legitimacy and also insight when you're then coaching and seeing patients and telling them to be healthy. So understanding the challenges, but also understanding the reality of maintaining a healthy weight. The second is to get real. I mean, I believe that in the future, the very near future, there will be prevention specialists and that won't be driven by an enlightened medical community. It will actually be driven by consumer demand. People don't just want to get healthy. People these days expect their doctors to keep them healthy in the first place. And so I think that there will be a huge opportunity for doctors to develop specialisation in prevention medicine, in keeping people healthy, and there'll be a huge demand for that, particularly as millennials begin to age. And so I think upskilling and understanding so-called lifestyle medicine, or else your patients will turn somewhere else. And I think a big part of this is understanding nutrition. So, you know, is it fat or sugar? Is it fibre? Is it paleo? Is it the five... 5-2 diet. We need to know about these things because we are responsible for the healthcare of our patients. And if they if they don't think that we have a good understanding of you know soluble versus insoluble fiber, the quality of proteins, they will go somewhere else and it will be a missed opportunity. The second thing is then actually becoming comfortable with having those difficult conversations. So a part of upskilling is understanding it, but then also being able to actually talk about it. And talking about weight is really difficult. It can be quite uncomfortable. But, you know, if not you, if not the clinician, then who? And if not now, well, then when? So I think understanding that it is our role to actually have these conversations with our patients and to bring up the weight 
and with empathy because we actually understand how difficult it is to maintain a healthy weight to get exercise and to to eat healthily and to understand what and isn't isn't what is and isn't healthy the third is is to get connected shape the narrative and actually provide solutions and i think if doctors are interested there are a lot of doctors now engaging in public debate writing for public platforms understanding and 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 providing a voice and i think in an age where we've really emaciated our our media platforms doctors can provide a really important voice for prevention and 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 health related information so platforms like the conversation are a great place for for doctors to be sharing this information and an article i write can easily be reaching 140 180,000 people within a week and and that's an important way of sharing our skills the fourth is to get informed and really understand what it is to know about and support effective and progressive policies understand what actually is and isn't fact obesity is not an issue born from collective laziness ignorance or simply our genetics many have profited greatly from the obesity epidemic and continue to do so obesity is an issue born you know largely in unfair economics what do i mean well find out read read and understand what is actually the root cause of our global obesity epidemic the epidemic is accelerating a divergence of health and money in society and and it's happening in real time around us and of course you know obesity is an issue solved in responsible policy and fit for purpose healthcare system so understanding you know what are the facts who decides what we grow who decides where we put our agricultural subsidies that leads to very cheap ubiquitous amounts of simple carbohydrates and unhealthy meat who decides what we then manufacture the concentration of power and money and and wealth uh, in the food system globally and then who decides what we eat you know what is the role of advertising and how does advertising work and how does that influence our patients behavior these are all really important things to understand and they're not political simply understanding the facts and and understanding the wider kind of determinants of health and then there is i think an element where we do need to get political or at least we need to keep health from being overtaken by politics and what do i mean by this well we're seeing a challenge at the moment we're seeing the politicization of obesity and the commercial drivers we're seeing a situation where we actually can't even talk about obesity now without being accused of fat shaming which i think we have i think it's a very serious risk that we take when we talk about these issues not to allow them to turn to individual blame and we've already talked about that but the complexity of the discussion and the importance of action collective action shouldn't be overtaken by a fear of having the discussion in the first place and i i think that is being created by people individuals organizations sectors that don't want these discussions to occur and you know obesity should not be an ideological discussion what we do about it is highly political but obesity itself is not a political issue and we need to remember that what happens when these discussions can't even uh, happen to begin with and then finally i think we need to understand systems as doctors and as we move you know particularly i think doctors earlier in their careers understanding systems thinking and actually we're we're in a great situation to be able to do this because we've all grown up understanding you know all of the complexity of the cardiovascular system and how that relates to all of the complexity of the renal system but actually the all of the complexity of urban systems and how they relate to food systems is very similar and understanding these understanding a little about the economic system and how it's actually driving and 
and and accelerating many of the health and and social economic challenges and divergences that we're seeing around the world is is really important and understanding a little bit about the food system and how it is that we end up with what we have on the plate and food which is now the number one risk factor for disease worldwide and in many countries like Australia how does the system behind that create and maintain that very dangerous status quo so these would be my takeaway while we do need to understand the medicine and 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 the important role of clinicians we also need to remember that actually doctors are among the most trusted in society and when we have a huge collective super wicked problem a structural failure that is leading to a systems collapse in the form of an obesity a preventable disease epidemic now affecting 2 in 3 adults and 1 in 4 to 1 in 3 of our kids who else but the experts in that field who already have a huge amount of trust who else but them to upskill to refocus to unite and to demand action to actually start to address the structural the deep drivers and the policy solutions to to this to this major health challenge There's definitely a lot to think about and those are some great takeaways for our listeners just to recap quickly they were get healthy get real get connected get informed get political and finally get systems That's correct Sandro I think this is a great place to wrap it up thank you very very much for your time as always it's been a pleasure speaking with you Absolute pleasure thank you very much for having me And thank you to our listeners You've been listening to a BJSM podcast with Dr. Sandra DeMeo. You can follow BJSM and stay up to date via the usual social media channels or download the BJSM app where you can find more podcasts, our latest articles, blog posts and other content. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.